I'm John. I'm Nick. And I'm Adam. And you're listening to the Archive, our ever-growing library of everything, one hour at a time. We are in the Prefatorium. Welcome back. Uh, I don't know what we're going to do here because we are without both the Prefatorial Pooba and the Prefatorial Goomba. So, uh, I... Everyone, shut up. What? Wait a minute. What? Hello. You're supposed to be in a cryo crate. I, I heard there was a national crisis, and I have emerged un... Finished. March Madness started at the beginning of the month, Adam. What do you? What took you so long? What I? What what what? What's the date? What year is this? <laughs> it's it is it is the end of March Madness, twenty twenty, the first ever March Madness on the archive, and you missed it. That was that was my idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where have you been? In my cryo crate. You know this. Every year, I have to go you back cryo and reju- rejuvenate. So you feel rejuvenated now? Well, I feel about three-fourths rejuvenated. <laughs> well, good. <laughs> you, you arrived at just the right point to have a compromised immune system. <laughs> Perfect. Oh. I can't imagine there's anything important happening that would, that would affect. Okay. Well, welcome back. But let me, uh, let me regain my, my, put my crown back on. Little little loose fit because I'm not quite uh, done yet, as I said. Yeah. But uh, so here in the prefatorium, um, we talk about two things: show matters and comments. Uh, we definitely have an awesome show matter this week. Um, Drew's not here. No, 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 I can't. Uh, the awesome show matter is we have two amazing uh, guest archivists with us. Um, I will take Drew's uh, line because he's not here. Please do not speak until you've been officially introduced. Um, we have returning guest archivists Ashley and Chelsea. Hello. Hi. Welcome. Wunderbar. So the next thing I tend to do right here is I ask a awesome question I've been waiting for weeks to say. John, you have any comments? Yes. Oh, God. Beautiful. Beautiful. Adam, I am so excited that you emerged from your cryo crate this week in particular because not only do we have multiple comments, we have a comment thread. Multiple? Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. All right. Still my heart. All the comments that I'm about to relay were posted in response to our episode on Mad Magazine. Adam, you'll have to go back into the archive to listen to that. Um, Can't wait. But the first comment that we have this week is from Kid Creeper Faces slash Azrael, who has been a regular fixture in the comments lately. And he says, okay. No, that's the wrong comment. He says, <laughs> he says, if y'all didn't know it yet, I will only be commenting on archive proper. Ah, this is good. I'm glad he's clarifying this because since he's been back in the comments, we weren't sure if he was going to comment on the archive and the deep dive and the percolator or just the archive. <laughs> but I'm glad he's here. He says, only the archive proper, not the deep dive or the percolator. Thank you for um, for clearing that up, Kid Creeper. 
Uh, he says, Adam didn't pay me anything to say that you guys should put the percolator back in the archive proper. And thanks for wishing me a happy birthday. 27 and going strong. Uh, yeah, you missed a few of your son's birthdays while you were in the cryo crate, yeah, Adam. apparently. Holy moly. Uh, he says, good night, Kelly. <laughs> Comment streak five. P.S. What happened to the Undertale episode? I tried to listen to it, but I couldn't find it. Uh, to which we got a response posted by Mike Westfall. Mike Westfall. Who says, it's the one with Flowey on it. And he provides a link, uh, which we'll put in the show notes for this episode. So, Kid Creeper, if you have trouble navigating the comments, we'll put a direct link in the in the show notes for this episode. Kid Creeper responds to Mike and says, "Fun fact: Flowey and I are the same person." That is the I believe what? I believe that is the first ever threaded comment on the archive.com. Seriously? Yeah, pretty sure we've had like. So, replies and stuff but this is a full-on thread these are two people who know how to use the reply feature in the comments <laughs> i mean i don't even know how to use the reply feature in the comments so. oh my gosh amazing. this is this is magnificent um so but but none of the comments are actually related to the episode i have no. more i have more <laughs> <laughs> all right uh mike westfall also says uh, my dad would randomly pick up issues of both Mad Magazine and Cracked for my brother and me. I think I tended to prefer Mad, especially a few reissues I had of early issues from the 50s. Thank you for that, Mike. Uh, I am not sure... I think we mentioned it on the episode that Mad Magazine had been like kind of repackaged ad nauseum over the years like they've done those kind of best mm-hmm. of things uh but i don't know that i've ever seen any of the original stuff from the 50s um yeah me either we have one final comment and that's from kid creeper faces slash asriel who says okay so i know i commented already but but on episode 243 mike gave me the title king creeper so i am technically the king of creepers uh kid creeper i'm afraid i'm gonna have to uh table that discussion for when both the prefatorial pooba and goomba are here in the prefatorium uh so uh check back at a later time but thank you for your comments i I do believe that after he was dubbed king creeper wasn't I then dubbed King Queen Creeper. Well, you were you were, Queen you were definitely dubbed Queen Creeper, but I think there is but, a room in this world for both a king and a kid and a queen creeper. I mean, I'm doing a terrible job of being a creeper these days, so like I'm fully understand of losing my status, but you know, just wondering. You can always regain it, Adam. How should she regain it? Um, well, you know, I, I think there's somebody here who might be able to uh, comment on that. We have a live comment coming in from no one, uh, nobody else but the uh, kid creeper himself. Whoa. Oh, God. <laughs> Hello there. Welcome, kid creeper. 
thank you. It's it's great to be back. He's entered your pod. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, yes. you guys are giving each other the COVIDs right now, so I'm afraid we won't be able to have either of you on the on the show or in the comments for two weeks from now. Try for the best. Dang. <laughs> Well, thank you for your comments of late. We appreciate them. I think no this actually, this live comment, I believe, brings your streak to seven, if I'm not mistaken. That is true, yeah. yeah. That's a record. That is a record, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Never been done before. All right, it's really crowded in here, so I'm yes. going to go ahead and uh, kick him back I, out. Oh, so, say goodbye. He got ejected. Yeah, he did. It jettisoned him out. Into did he have a comment, or are we counting him just saying that seven is his comment? <laughs> I think that counts. I think it counts. Okay. Since we start making hard, fast rules around here. Adam, could you um, remind everybody how they could be mentioned in the comments? I'd love to. So we are on all these socials, as the cool kids say. Um, you can check us out at thearchive.com uh, or on Spotify or iTunes or wherever you prefer to get your podcasting on. Um, you can also just call John. It's 314. Uh, oh. Getting a, getting a no, no, no. Sorry. I will. I will uh, we'll move on. Um, That's okay. I don't answer my phone anyway. That's all right. Um, so I know we uh, we typically do some cool '70s music whenever the '70s are mentioned, but uh, maybe some cool '60s music going into. Uh, uh, I don't, I've never seen the show, so it's set in the '60s. I assume it is '50s, maybe. Oh, this is going to be a fun one. All right. <laughs> He's never watched it. <laughs> Let's get into the archive, everybody. Let's do it. All right. talking about Mad Men. This has been an episode that I've been looking forward to for uh, like at least six months or so when we first had this mad idea. Actually, I think the Mad Men episode may have predated March Madness. Yeah. Uh, it's been floating around yeah. for a couple of years, yeah. I think. I think a couple of years, totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I'm glad we didn't do it before now because until uh, we were sequestered at home, I didn't have the opportunity to really research anything. So I feel much more prepared uh, for this uh, this time around. Um, I'm going to start, as we traditionally do, by just getting everybody on the same page in terms of how familiar we are with the show Mad Men. I'm going to go to Adam first. <laughs> so I know uh, Kelly, good night Kelly, um, has watched every episode um, I, for a very brief moment, would come in and like sit down and uh, in like middle of season three or something like that, and like try to figure out what was going on. Really well acted. Um, writing seems solid. Um, I had a couple like oh my gosh moments when I tried to piece together what was going on, but 
I gathered, and I, is, is this a spoiler episode? We're good with that? Yeah, yeah this because, is definitely a spoiler episode. Yeah, all right. Um, so I guess the Don Draper guy, that's not who he actually is. He's actually like some guy from some other guy or something like that. He stole that name. <laughs> some other guy or something like that. Yeah, from like either the mm-hmm. World War II or Korean War or something like that. or uh, yeah, We'll get to that. Is it Korea? Yeah. yeah. And then, like, yeah. he kept cheating on his wife or something. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, what, what's left to talk that about? Is, we'll yeah, that's it. We're done here. Put it in the hour covered it. And they drink and smoke a lot. There you go. That's 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 my familiarity with going on. Oh, and St. Louis native, native John Hamm plays, plays the lead. That he does. Ashley, have you ever seen Mad Men? Who? I have seen Mad Men, yes. I have watched it. The whole series at least twice and i got through i think 11 episodes of the first season during my quarantine right now and then our internet started going nuts so i wasn't able to refresh because you know i don't remember as much like having a baby basically eats your brain cells mm. and then <laughs> so like my ability to recall things is bad <laughs> as that sentence was so i was trying to like study up and refresh but yeah i've watched the entire series at least twice oh, wow. when it was live on the air and then i watched it streaming maybe i've watched it three times i've watched it a lot because i love it it's a great show so but don't that doesn't mean that i'm going to remember a lot of details <laughs> so. all right disclaimer no, it's too late you say is that. in place <laughs> Yes. Uh, Nick, I understand you actually wrote some episodes of Mad Men. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I, I was a stand-in for John Hamm in a few episodes, <laughs> but um, just for the uh, was... the bedroom scenes, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they they said I was too attractive, and they took me out of it, so I'm not actually in it. But you can see me in the credits. Um, <laughs> I I didn't watch it while it was airing live, but I have seen a few seasons of it, and then um, Angie kind of got ahead of me on it, and I saw episodes here and there in the later seasons and never finished it. Okay. How many episodes do you think you've seen? Um, complete episodes or parts of episodes? We'll, we'll go with parts. Uh, how many episodes are there per season? Do you think? In per uh, per season, there are twelve to thirteen. Yeah. Okay. And then that go... one season they split into. Oh two. yeah, that one had fourteen episodes. Yeah. I'm gonna go thirty-one. Okay, I think that's a pretty good grasp of the show. Chelsea, I understand. I don't need to go back. <laughs> Did you see the last episode? No, actually, Angie, that's that's one of a few series of hers that she likes so much that she didn't finish. She, like, she wants them to live on, and she can go back and finish them at some point, but wants them to exist still well, going. I think in a the, the I think the last episode would satisfy that need for her. Yeah, so she she okay. stopped. She watched all of it except for the last episode. She might have stopped a few episodes shy of it, but okay. Like she's never finished The Office. She didn't finish Thirty Rock until 
until we did an episode on it and <laughs> made her do it. Um, and yeah, that's that's one that she's left a few out. That is fun. I would actually, I would be interested in hearing what her, how she feels about the show. Like if she just went back and started watching those last few episodes, if it would change her opinion of the show. Nick, go get her and find out. <laughs> All right, I'll be back. <laughs> Chelsea, uh, we have been recently revisiting Mad Men. We've gotten through the first season. I think this represents my third time around. How many times have you been through it? I think I've seen it at least two full times. I think when I initially saw it, I came in maybe in season six or seven. And then... um, I'm pretty sure I've seen it two times through after that. Yeah. Yeah, I I watched it. Uh, I watched the first episode and then I didn't watch anything until the end of the second season. This is as it was airing. And then there uh, were a couple episodes at the end of the second season that hooked me and I watched everything as it aired from then on which i think is the only show i can say that for for that length of time that that would be an additional five seasons that i watched weekly on air air date or shortly thereafter i don't think there's any other show that i've watched uh like that for that long which uh i guess speaks to why i am such a big uh fan of the show um what makes you like it so much? Good question. I guess that's a question for you and and everybody who's seen it like a lot. What makes you uh, what endears you to the show? Yeah. Um, so I will say that I love it because it is very cinematic and um, it, it it's a full arc. The I'm I'm interested in the overall arc from season one through season seven uh, less than I am in the individual episodes or the individual seasons. Um, but I, I, there, there's enough there. It's a, it's a weird mix. I I feel like most shows either do one or the other really well. They do like a long game. That's, that's really good. Um, or they do like loss. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the third week in a row that we've talked about lost on the archive. Uh, uh, or they do like really great episodic stuff. (laughs) Like, like lost. Good God. Good God. Um, I will not listen to a deep dive on Lost. <laughs> Burn me once. But I do think, I think that um, Mad Men works both ways. I think it, it works both as an overall, a, a long game and um, individually, episodically, it's very compelling. And I think it's also really interesting. It's not a show where people are... Um, nothing ever seems to really go well. And it's a long, or at least, uh, it, it never, nothing is ever going well for everybody at the same time, which is unusual, I think. Mm-hmm. I, I think even in shows where there are uh, ups and downs for different characters, uh, they typically, like, everybody has a good episode. If there's like a really bad show or a show where lots of bad things happen to people, there's like, if they have an episode where there's 
where, where things are good, it's good for everybody. And it's like the feel good episode. And I don't really think that right. happens in Mad Men. It's like constantly up and down. And I guess there's a little bit of uh, realism in that. Or maybe I just no, don't like, like people being happy, and that's why I like this show. <laughs> so like, there's shows like like Walking Dead. I'm watching it and see it in a long time, but like, anytime there's like that, oh, things are going really well. It's not a question of if; is when is the shoe gonna drop? Like, it's just, like things are going way too good for these people. Like something terrible to happen. Is that kind of the same thing? As far as uh, you said that it's different times, people are doing good and whatnot. But is there any one of those episodes where like things look like it's going really, really well, and then all of a sudden it kind of just all goes to shit or? I mean, there are there are surprises in the show, but it's not um, it. It's more of kind of a steady ebb and flow. Like some characters might be doing really well, while other characters are not doing so well. But I think real life. Yeah. 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 Yeah, It's like real life. Yeah. Why does everybody else like it? Um, I am. I was initially drawn to it because I worked in advertising. And so oh, yeah. when it came out, everyone was like, oh, this show, it's about advertising. You got to watch it. And then, you know, you start watching it as a woman who works in advertising and you realize we haven't come that far from the 60s. Mm. I mean, it's definitely not as, like, bad as it was in the 60s for a woman. But, like, it's very much a man's man's kind of it's a boys club Mm -hmm. but beyond that it's just so well written and so well acted it's just it's beautiful to watch and that's why i keep coming back to it and like john was saying the character arcs are compelling and the the characters continue to grow and change uh for every season including you know don draper and where he ends up is far from where he started and it's kind of good to watch in a way i mean i'm not saying he's necessarily better off than he was in the beginning Mm -hmm. but he's a different person and so it literally and just like (laughs) (laughs) well we'll get to that we'll get he's always who he is he's always who he is people tell you who they are one thing that adam knows about it (laughs) (laughs) and he he knows just enough to know just enough um but like characters like peggy olsen like (laughs) i was watching the first season again and knowing where she ends up is like it's an incredible story especially for the the time period that it's in so it's just it never disappoints even on second or third time rewatching. like it's still fresh that is a sign of quality show no doubt Mm. yeah i would echo what both ashley and john said for their reasons for liking it. Um, I think, like Ashley was just saying, there is always something new or enjoyable to see on every viewing. Um, I think, you know, for one thing, just stylistically, both the way it's shot and the settings, the staging, the wardrobe, the props, it's all just so gorgeous to look at. Um, I read some article about it that said uh, somebody could do a blog series just on the lamps of Mad Men and I think that that's really fun that they put so much effort into you know the setting of every scene Um, but beyond the the beauty of it and the mid-century gloriousness of it those character developments 
are really what just makes it above and beyond. And um, I think that the complexity of the characters and the nuances, um, we were watching an episode the other day and John said something about Betty being a terrible person. And while it is hard to like Betty Draper, you can't just say, you know, she's just a flat, bad character. There's so many layers to everybody that um, you can identify with. And I really enjoy that about it. I I really liked her character because uh, in the time that I was watching it, I hadn't seen January Jones in anything else. And it was hard for me to tell if she was a good actress or not because her <laughs> character is so kind of cold and yes. um and I, I i think she is fantastic and the the character is awesome too yeah mm-hmm. she like gets in a car uh, accident yeah, right she what she like rush drunk and crashes her car maybe uh they're not not a drunk driving crash oh all right that's all i know are you talking about <laughs> she uh... the no- the anxiety? I don't know. I just saw a scene where she was smashing against a tree and she came out. She's like stumbling around. So I thought maybe she was drunk. Maybe not. <laughs> I, I kind of want Adam to like just watch snippets of every episode oh. and then like extrapolate from that. Right. And tell us what he thinks happened in just... the episode. Can you just give us a synopsis of the whole season or the whole series arc for everybody? <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I I don't think you need to do that. I'm, I'm only allowed to watch five minutes per episode and then come together with some sort of report on what, <laughs> what it was. I would listen to that. Yeah, Let's see if I can throw something together for you. This guys. is a whole other podcast. You got plenty of time now. We're all we all have plenty of time. Right, seriously. So. Yeah. Five minute episodes. Yeah. yeah. Mad Men in five minutes. Yeah, just give us a pitch meeting, a little pitch to <laughs> what this episode is about. <laughs> right. All right. Um, I don't want to get too far down the line without talking about something that we always talk about on episodes like this. The history. I can't believe we, we didn't bring this up already, but um, Mad Men is a television show that aired. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, between 2007 and 2015, I believe, uh, on AMC. It was AMC's first dramatic production, uh, which uh, now seems like kind of crazy because they've had so many shows that were like kind of cultural behemoths. Um, But Mad Men was the first. Um, And it all started as a spec script by Matthew Weiner. Um... Who? <laughs> I also can't believe it took that long to get to that point um, where we laughed about that. But um, he, uh, Matthew Weiner, grew up in LA. He mastered in film and television at USC, and then he tried to get uh, a job writing for television in the late '90s, and it was apparently very hard. But he he was able to do it, and he had kind of a steady gig writing for. This is this is the best thing I'm going to tell you all evening. Matthew Weiner, the creator of Mad Men, one of the most uh, lauded shows of the modern era, um, started out on television writing for Becker, the show with Ted Danson. <laughs> I love Becker. <laughs> I don't know that I've actually so ever seen Becker. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've ever seen Becker. Oh, it's great. 
So while he's writing for Becker, uh, he wrote the pilot script for Mad Men and uh, I guess kind of shopped it around to friends and colleagues. And one of the people who saw it was um, the guy that uh, was doing The Sopranos, David Chase. Uh, and he looked at it and he said, this is this is amazing. Uh, you guys, you should probably write for The Sopranos. And that was how Matthew Weiner kind of made his break. He wrote on The Sopranos for a long time. I think from season four on, he was one of the lead writers uh, for The Sopranos. And after The Sopranos ended, uh, Matthew Weiner went back to his script. He kind of touched it up and started shopping it around two networks to try to get it picked up. Uh, Showtime passed on it. FX passed on it. HBO was interested but only if David Chase was involved as a producer and David Chase wanted to go and do movies. So HBO passed on it. So all these major networks, uh, uh, cable networks passed on it. AMC had never produced an original series before, but they took the leap on it. And, um, well, they're laughing all the way to the bank. Yeah, seriously. It, it seems to have worked out, uh, well for them. They like pretty much changed television with that decision. Yeah. Um, well, I think at least at the time, the, so the two, the two big shows that kind of, um, presaged Mad Men in terms of like, uh, what is called prestige TV were the Sopranos and, oh, go on. <laughs> Lost was still <laughs> active at the time. Uh, I think, I, I think Lost started in like 2005, maybe. Or four? Uh, earlier than that, because I was still in the military at the time, so either three or four. Okay. Well, also, Lost is and terrible, so I'm not counting it in this <laughs> equation. Yeah. It started in 2004 and ran till 2010. Okay. I have to say, Lost is is its own thing. Like, when you talk about prestige television, Lost is still kind of trash. Like, I really enjoy a lot of it, but it, it doesn't have the drama that... Um, or it's it's just not as serious as as Sopranos or Mad Men or things like that. It's still very mm-hmm. contrived. I I will try to stop derailing into lost conversation. So it was it was Sopranos and what was the other one, John? Uh, The Wire, which was uh, also yeah. an Wire. HBO yeah. show. Yeah. yeah. Right. And the difference is, I think where where this really shows up is in the um, production design because for both The Sopranos and The Wire. Uh, while HBO was willing to spend a lot of money on them, they weren't spending the kinds of money per episode that Mad Men was spent on its first season. The average cost of every Mad Men episode in the first season was $2.5 million. And what? Yeah. That's crazy. And unfortunately, that is really what I guess the industry has dubbed the hallmark of prestige television is like how much money you're willing to spend on a show per episode or over the course of a, a run. And I think that that increased as the salaries went up, the the cost increased. I don't know what it was by the end of the, the run, but I'm sure it was at least $3 million per episode by the time Mad Men was finished. Oh, um, yeah. Another thing that I think is important, I mentioned that I like this show because it's cinematic, and uh, that's actually a, a pretty intentional decision Um Matthew Weiner has said that his major influences in making the show and in, in sort of creating the look of the show were more cinematic than television. He looked to Alfred Hitchcock for visual style, specifically um, North by Northwest. 
and then in the um the shooting of the the show and the editing he looked to an asian director wong kar wai who um i've only seen a couple of his movies but he he's very good yeah he he has a very kind of romantic um use of music and cinematography in his movies chunking express is probably the one that put him on the map but he's done a bunch since then that are all very highly regarded and uh the other thing that that wiener wanted to do was to uh really remind people that their perception of the 60s was not necessarily how it actually was for people and i i love that idea of taking like a cinematic style something that is very like artificial and contrived and and very composed and apply it to a show that is supposed to be more realistic than people's recollections or impressions of something are. And I think that that it works out really well where like the show over the course of the seven seasons, you're watching people do make bad decisions and do terrible things to each other. But everything that they do is rendered so beautifully that it's hard to look away, I guess. Hmm. Does that make sense? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Mad Men premiered in 2007, the same year that the iPhone came out, uh, and it <laughs> ran through 2015. Um, and uh, when the iPhone ended. <laughs> uh, and then since then, I guess it has left kind of a a, a pretty broad uh, imprint on television. There were a lot of shows that came in its wake that were like obviously copies of it. NBC had a show called Pan Am that was set in the sixties. That was about Pan Am airlines. And there were a couple of others. I think, I think the stylistically Mad Men has made more of an imprint on television in terms of raising the production values, uh, significantly over what we had before. And there are a lot of shows that are like cinematic now. I haven't actually seen it, but I've heard that, um, Hannibal, is is sort of like Mad Men in that it's like very exacting in terms of the way it's shot and art directed and everything. Um, so, Mad Men. Uh, Adam, this is yeah. where I, I want you to um, tell us again what, what Mad Men is about. Sure. Um, Mad Men is about some ad men um, oh <laughs> in the I thought maybe 50s but now 60s um, and like there's this guy Don Don Draper uh, who cheats on his wife a lot and he's like a genius when it comes to advertising except for those times he like like has writer's block or something and he can't figure stuff out but then he'll be like then the episode would be like, wait, no, I got it. And then he has it or something. I don't know. Because um, he's usually drunk at that point. And then there's like the right secretary so yeah. who like is actually really good at advertising, maybe. And like, uh, is it Jessica Chastain? Is that her name? Good at advertising. No, no it's no. the other redhead. No, no, no. no. Is, is, is she in, in, Try again. in, in the show? No, Jessica no. Chastain no. is not in the show. That's fine. Um, you're, you're pretty close. <laughs> There's a... Is she red, red hair? Yeah. Yeah, she was from yeah. Firefly. 
But um, she's a she's in it. Jessica yeah. Chastain is from Firefly, or no, 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 the, the lady. <laughs> or Don Draper is from Firefly. No, 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 the lady in, in Mad Men is from Firefly. No, no. Oh she's yeah. She's like she's like sultry, and she's like always like taking like that's the, Christina Hendricks. That's the one, yeah. And she's taking the secretary girl under her wing and be like, hey, it's a man's world, but whatever, I guess. And whatever, I guess. But, <laughs> yeah, that's what she said. That was how they spoke in the '60s. Come to right. find out. And then the secretary actually becomes an actual ad person, I think, maybe. Um, an ad yeah, person. Um, <laughs> which is not a madman, so he's an ad person. Um, so, and then, uh, again, John Dipper's wife is like, they have like a kid Adam, or something. Adam, did you just like, say she, John Dipper? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I might have, but John, no, wait, no, Don Draper. Um so and then, but like he has like a, like a something's like like purple heart in his dress desk drawer, and he's like, oh my gosh, it's not actually him, it's some other guy. Um, and then the final shot of the thing is he's like having him doing like yoga or some shit. I don't know. Um, but uh, and there's like the guy with like silver hair, and he's he's Tony Stark's dad. He's really good in it. Um, <laughs> Tony Stark's dad. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. All like those right. other guys are really good. Um, is it is Oliver Platt in it? Is he in this thing? No. No, okay. Well, some other guy is kind of a kind of Albert Platt sort of guy, a little round. Um, he was pretty good too. Um, I don't remember what he did though. And that's it. Thank you, Madman. That was great. Thank Put you. The Final thoughts. Anyone? <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious. All joking aside, am I am I anywhere close to anything? Am I ballpark or? Yes. So what you call what you call. Being good at advertising is being good at copywriting. Yeah. So yeah. Don Draper's a copywriter, and his secretary, played by Elizabeth Moss, She's great. Peggy Olson, She's great. she ends up being a copywriter too. Yeah, good. Yeah. Christina Hendricks is Joan, the redhead. She was like the lead secretary, and I think she eventually becomes partner mm-hmm. of, of a new firm that they put together agency i should say that they put together and the oliver platt looking guy you're probably thinking of salvador i was thinking maybe maybe burt cooper who is one of the partners as well oh burt cooper he never wore his shoes yes in the office not that guy then Mm -hmm. i mean was it salvador romano or oh wait like a a young weasley guy too like like he's like really Oh, Pete. Pete. Yeah. Yeah. Pete Campbell. Yeah. And, like, I didn't like him. And then I saw him, and he was, and like, having a girlfriend were... or something. And I kind of liked him. And then I could only liked him again. I don't remember what happened. Yeah, I feel like Pete Campbell is one of those characters that, like, is just a villain through pretty much the whole series. Like, yeah, Pete might be the exception to what I said earlier about um, there not being any just strictly bad characters. But um, he does mm-hmm. have an arc of his own and I feel like the story itself you know the whole series is almost as much Pete's story as it is like Peggy's story um and you know both of them are subordinate to to Don I feel like but the three of their relationship together I think is pretty uh strong theme in the series I would I would actually say that those three are like the nuclear family of the show. And they wow. kind of mm-hmm. like they visually reinforce that in one of the 
episodes in, I think, the sixth season or the seventh season where they're, like, um, they're having dinner. They they just got the Burger Chef account, and they're trying to, like, figure out mm-hmm. why people go to Burger Chef. And, like, the three of them sit down to dinner. <laughs> the Burger Chef that they eat at looks nothing like the Burger Chefs that I've visited in my lifetime. But that the, the three of them are, like, I think the main characters of the show. Don is the, the mm-hmm. protagonist of the show, I guess. But mm-hmm. the three of them, I think, are... They're the ones we, in the first episode of the first season, it's, those are the three stories that we follow. And at the end, I think they're the ones that are still, Pete's less entwined with the the other two by the end of the show, but uh, Peggy and Don definitely are still um, very much linked to each other, their stories are. Yeah, but don't they bring Pete in and he's also running like a satellite office of their small agency and like Yeah. He's still there. He's still there, but he's less um like in in, in the first season especially the relationship between Peggy, Pete and Don is very closely tied. Like, mm-hmm. you know, cuz Pete's new, Don's supposed to be training him sort of i guess and peggy's new and then she and pete have this relationship and and then everyone's competing with each other yeah pete is very much an adversary for don in the first episode or the first season but he's he's also Mm -hmm. like he's he's sort of gunning for don's job and he wants don's uh esteem he wants his uh appreciation uh but he, I think the interesting thing about Pete for me is always that he's, we tend to side with Don because weirdly Don is the more rational and relatable one of the two. Pete is always depicted as being this kind of um, petulant asshole. And whereas <laughs> Don, is, Don is a charming asshole and Pete is a petulant mm-hmm. asshole but Pete's almost always right. Like he has these ideas and he'll, he'll suggest things and everybody else in the agency will say like, they'll scoff at it or make fun of him or um, just completely skip over his idea. But it turns out to actually be kind of a, a, a smart thing um, mm-hmm. throughout the run. But I just meant like it, at the end of the show, he's not his, what he's going through is less linked to Don, what Don and Peggy are going through. And maybe that's a knock on the show and the way that that arc completes, but I really like the way it ended. I, I, I think it's one of the few shows where I, I feel like people were satisfied with how the whole thing evolved. But I there could be like wrong. A, a British guy too, right? Like nobody liked him or some shit? Oh, Lane. Lane, like, he yes. Like, he, like, he, like, bought out the place. He's a tragic like character. Oh, no. Yeah, he's a tragic character. Oh, find out what happens to him. Yeah. He kills himself. Yeah. So the, right. The, right, oh. the company, like, loses a bunch of money or something, right? Like, they lose a big client, and it's his fault, maybe? I don't, it's not his fault, but in the midst of, uh, when, when they are sort of going through a lack of, uh, funding, he he also has kind of a personal crisis. I forget what it is, if it's like a gambling debt or something. 
Chelsea, do you remember? An, an affair. Was it an affair? He does have an it affair. It was something financial. He has an affair with a Playboy bunny. A, a black Playboy right. bunny, in fact. That's true. Right. Yes. Scandalous. Yes. But he ends up, he, he gives the partners an advance when they weren't, they're, they're supposed like, to be sort of tightening the, the expenditures, oh, okay. and he gives himself an advance so that he can pay off these people that he owes money to. And once they start catching on to what happened, he realizes they're going to mm-hmm. eventually figure it out, and so he kills himself. He hangs himself oh, in the office. In his office, Damn. yeah. Is Odo in this thing? Is who? Who? Odo from Deep Space, Deep Space, Deep Space Nine. Rene Abenjoir or something like that. Uh, no. I don't think no. so. Yeah, I thought I saw him in it. I think something else. Eh, whatever. It's Janeway in it? You're thinking of Deep Space Nine. Janeway, no. <laughs> I thought I... Can we go through all the characters from Star Trek and ask if they're in it? <laughs> so this is really no, funny. So no, I just looked it up, no. right? And I'm scrolling down as I want to do. Um, he, he, it was... Yeah, he was played Dr. Emerson, whatever the hell that is. But, um... Denise Crosby, Tasha Yar, was in this show, apparently. She was Gertie. So there's your other Star Trek uh, connection there. Uh, yeah, I don't remember. I'm sure I, I recognized her at the time, but I don't remember uh, who Gertie was. Come on, you people have seen this. So not important. Oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, so let me provide a little bit additional clarity for you, Adam. Please You're do. right. You are right that Don Draper is not Don Draper. Uh, Don Draper is actually a guy named Dick Whitman. John Dripper. (laughs) (laughs) I was right. Don Dipper. (laughs) John Dripper uh, went to the Korean War and accidentally killed his superior officer or got his superior officer killed. And uh, subsequently uh, decided to switch identities with him. So he pulled off his dog tags and put them on the corpse of his superior, took the other guy's dog tags, put them on himself. And no one noticed this? uh, Well, I mean, the. Well, I mean, War is Hell. It, no, he didn't go home. It was Korea. They don't go. speak they, English they, there. They were digging yeah. latrines, and it was no, just no pictures. The, the two of them, Don and Dick, who were digging the latrines. Yes, so nobody else there was, was no one else in this unit. It was just the two of them. And uh, what happened was he, uh, Dick Whitman, uh, dropped his lighter into a, a, a trail of gasoline, which led to an explosion. So the body of his superior was completely... Uh, destroyed, basically. Unrecognizably destroyed. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they had... (laughs) I I was just wondering that. Like, how far back do dental record checking... How far back does that go? Probably not the Korean War. Yeah. Anyway, no one caught on to it, except for Don Draper's wife, who eventually... uh, uh, tracks down Dick Whitman, who is posing as Don Draper using his identity. Um, but it turns out that they're both really great friends, and they have a, a 
a very beautiful relationship, a platonic friendship. And maybe things weren't so great in the Draper household. And um, as evidenced by the fact that when Anna Draper confronts Dick Whitman, uh, he says, uh, sorry, but he never mentioned you. And she like is incredulous. She can't believe that her husband never mentioned that he was married to this woman. Uh, That's cold. Yeah, super cold. She's a great character. She's the I love best her. character. She is the heart of the show her. in a weird way. She's only in like yeah. five episodes, maybe, but but she like greatly humanizes Don Draper. Yeah, with how human she treats him and how she's forgiven him. Wow, for what he did. Yeah, yeah. and she also it seems like you know he's always acting apart except when he's with Anna. Yeah. It seems like that's when we can see like the real right. dick slash Don. And um those the friendship between those two is pretty cool to watch. Yeah, so Don is um when we meet him uh he is I think about 34 or 35 years old. He's probably been in this identity for at least 10 years maybe probably more closer to 15 yeah closer to 15 probably um and he has constructed this life that he as as we uh go through the show and we see in flashbacks we find out more and more about um his very uh humble origins he's the the son of a prostitute um oh and spent a lot of time. Now Adam's in. <laughs> <laughs> wow. uh, spent a lot of time growing up in a brothel, and um, was always poor. His family was always very poor, and he's living among these uh, rich socialites, um, the upper crust of Manhattan. This is like sort of the pinnacle of mid-century America society, and. Um, he has this beautiful wife who was a model and he has two kids and he has this suburban home um, that he he sort of lives in. He pretty much hates it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he's living the quote-unquote American dream. Right. And it is ostensibly again, tons of money. what everybody was supposed to want in the 50s and 60s. And yet he's unhappy unhappy enough that he has these extramarital affairs going on and seemingly at every turn he's looking for a way out like he's constructed this perfect life everybody looks up to him everybody's intimidated by him he has this commanding power over everything but he's unhappy and he's always looking for a way out and i was totally surprised to see when chelsea and i started re-watching the first season uh this week how early he's looking for an escape route uh, mm -hmm. from his his constructed life. And it happens, yeah. I think, even before he's threatened with his secret getting out. So Pete Campbell, who we mentioned, mm -hmm. the uh, snivelly guy, right? he learns that Don Draper is not Don Draper. And uh, he tries to use it, that knowledge to blackmail Don. Uh, but even, and, and at that point, Don's first impulse is to like flee. He's like just going to abandon everything he has. He's going to abandon his wife and his kids and his life, everything. But even before that, he he gets a check from Burt Cooper 
for $2,500. And he goes to his mistress and says, let's go to Paris and like not come back. Um, he has this like compulsion to, yeah. to run. Um, yeah. Oh, and then his half brother comes to visit half-brother. and there's another, yeah, half brother who thinks the world of him and couldn't believe he found him. Like he saw his picture in the newspaper and he comes and he just wants to reconnect with him, but it's too much of a threat to everything that, you know, Don Draper is. So he gives him a bunch of money, like basically all of his savings to, you know, basically move to a new city and start a new life and live very richly. And that ends tragically with the brother feeling rejected and mm. killing himself. Jeez. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh... Nick, you're here? <laughs> Sometimes. You guys are cutting out a lot. Uh, yeah, so Don Don has, uh, shall we say, a habit of making poor decisions. Yeah. Um, and I think that that goes for everybody in this show. Not to say that it's universal, but I think it um in over the course of the seven seasons i think part of what makes the show interesting is is watching people make bad decisions and then have to reckon with the consequences or not reckon with the consequences especially for some of the men like the women have to struggle the women have to jump through extra hoops sometimes and it seems like the men get a pass on it or like just their their path to reconciliation or to um, self-realization is a lot easier in many cases than the women's path. Yeah, I think that that's pretty, that kind of idea is pretty strong throughout the series. It's deals so much with gender equality particularly um, racial equality as we get later into this series, but particularly in the early part, um, just the chauvinism and misogyny is extra strong. They really lay it on thick in the first season. Yeah. Like it, it almost caused me to stop watching the show when I first started watching because I'm like, gosh, this is just really over the top. And they did lay off of it, but I think they really needed you to understand, like, where they were coming from. Yeah, I, one of my favorite things about the show is how it, it touches on a lot of the, the stuff that we acknowledge as, like, the 60s, like the major touch points of the 60s, the Kennedy assassination, Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination, um, the Beatles and all that stuff on, on uh, Ed Sullivan. But it, it sort of does it for the most part in a very casual way. And it also like addresses the progress that was made with like civil rights and gender equality. But it the way that it does it, the way that it depicts it, I think is um, unique. I don't think I've ever seen anything that, that handles it quite so well it's almost always like the progress happens as an accident. It's never like this noble act. It's always like a byproduct of something else that's a borderline nefarious. Like um, in, in in a very small example is like Peggy Olson, Don's secretary in the first season. Um, She, 
she demonstrates some ability to um, uh, conceptualize campaigns in the same way or a similar way that the men do. And so she kind of earns the respect of one of the other copywriters, or at least she impresses the, that copywriter, but she doesn't get the job because of that. She doesn't get promoted to copywriter exclusively because she has the talent and she's smart. She gets the job because Don wants to put another dig into Pete Campbell at the end of the first season um, he puts Peggy Olson as the copywriter on this new campaign or this new account that Pete gets as a way of asserting power over Pete. So, I mean, it's great for Peggy and she absolutely deserves it and she has the talent to do it, but she, it, it's not like this rosy situation where at the end of the season, all of a sudden Don wakes up and he's like, oh my God, this person is such an incredible asset to me. He's always treating her like shit. Throughout the rest of the show, he's constantly an asshole to her. Um, yeah, but I don't, I don't disagree. I mean, I disagree. I do think it. He pretty much is treating her like a protege, like an, like he would treat a young man in her position. That's true. Like he's not, he's not handling her with kit gloves. He's like, look, you want to work in this job, you got to be like us. And but he, he has a special relationship with her, you know, like. He's not nice to her, but that's because he's not nice to anyone. True, that's true. And so I think, yeah, you you would ex- you expect him to be nicer because she's a woman, but he's treating her basically like one of the guys, and she becomes one of the guys, and she becomes one of the best writers that they have. But she and Don have this really special relationship that you know starts when she has this baby, what? and what? he. <laughs> <laughs> what? She she doesn't not Don's oh. baby. Oh. So she and Pete Campbell. So when she's a new girl, she and Pete Campbell have a couple of trysts, and I guess on one of them she gets pregnant. For most of the first season, they just treat it like she's getting fat. You don't know she's pregnant until basically she gives birth, and then her sister ends up raising the baby, and she kind of just ignores that it ever happened and never develops a relationship with the kid because she's building a career. But Don Draper kind of pulls her out of a depression that she falls into after this happens. And, you know, basically, you know, pick yourself up. You got to do this job, you know, and she becomes his protege more or less. Yeah. He, he kind of, he's not only a mentor in terms of the career, but also just the idea that you could, you can, change your life at a at a moment's notice mm-hmm. because i think that's true i can't yeah. remember exactly what he says to her but there's a flashback sometime after she's given birth and we don't really know mm-hmm. what's happened to the kid or we, we we didn't see what happened in the wake of her giving birth but we find out later that she called don for assistance or don found her i'm not sure but mm-hmm. he goes to visit her I can't remember and he's like this never happened you just Mm-hmm. pretend like this never happened and you move on which is what he did you know he right. he basically restarted his life in a whole different way created a, a mm-hmm. personality and tried to live that life and i think the difference there is that peggy takes that and she does it with integrity whereas don is constantly a victim of his own impulses maybe um, mm-hmm. but he, he keeps messing it up, 
Peggy seems to like learn from her mistakes and keep getting better. You know, she's she's not always perfect, and even at the end, she's not perfect. But she makes progress, and Don does too. But it's much more haphazard and stilted, I think. Because of who he is. I can't remember. Did she ever tell Pete? Because remember, like, he and Trudy couldn't have a baby, right? Right. And so she wanted to adopt. And I remember there being something, I don't know, an internal struggle with her, something about whether or not to tell him. I that think he could have she kids? does tell him in the last season. I think okay. she finally tells him. But then they do eventually have a kid, Pete and Trudy, right? Little Tammy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we were talking, Chelsea, you and I were talking about like the the costuming um, and and how that was a major part of what what went into shaping the show. But I think like specifically between Joan who is the the voluptuous um sort of she is very much like defined in the office environment by her her body and the image that she presents mm-hmm. and Peggy in contrast the two of them very much defined as oppositional forces like not just in character but also in like the it comes down to the costuming and that's one where one way in which I think that Mad Men is sort of leaps and bounds above other shows where you can actually like see that um they they present this drama or the tension between the two of them and you don't even have to like they don't even have to talk to each other and you can see that these are two mm-hmm. sort of opposing forces yeah the mm-hmm. costuming is something that I find really compelling about the series. Um, I remember while this show was originally airing, reading a blog post on the AMC website about, um, you know, a specific episode's costuming. And um, they were really just like breaking it down as far as what everybody was wearing color-wise and pattern-wise. And... um, once I started kind of honing in on that and paying attention to it, I thought it was just so cool that that much detail was paid, mm-hmm. yeah. um, you know, to every single episode. And mm-hmm. the, um, the way that you can just look at almost any still shot from the show and read it kind of like a painting you know, with the the strength of color and symbolism and things like that is really intriguing. Um, I, you know, I don't know if you guys remember before at least the last few seasons came out, uh, AMC would put out promo shots and there would always be some big shift in wardrobe or styles because of, you know, the changing times. Yeah, Roger has a mustache. Yeah. yeah. Or they're not wearing jackets anymore. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And those were always really fun to see. Um, but back to what John was saying about the oppositional wardrobing, I think that, you know, of all of the characters, obviously Betty is really fun to look at. Um, she's always dressed kind of doll-like. Um, mm-hmm. but, but to the... To John's point, the Joan and Peggy combo. I mean, Joan's always wearing 
these deep solid colors, um, anything to sort of accentuate her body. Whereas Peggy is just, you know, really eccentric. Her, she's dressed just all over the place. Um, mm -hmm. and it changes frequently what she's wearing. It's just showing her, I think, like, it's just illustrative of her finding herself and finding her, her place. Cause I, f I feel like I remember that she was largely conflicted about who she wanted to be or how she wanted to be. Yeah. It takes her a while to kind of settle into, um, you know, her own signature style, um, but I think she kind mm -hmm. of finally does figure it out by the end of the series. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Joan is so interesting because, like, you, you, she's so beautiful and so imposing as a character. Like, the camera angles they give her help with that, too. But then you start to realize that she's, you know, racist and homophobic and mm -hmm. sexist. And, and, like, when you start to find out, you're like, oh, my gosh, she's, like, she's basically what the old what becomes like someone's old racist grandma yeah but back then she was like this glamorous looking woman that that speaks to i think one of the other like themes of the show that i think is always interesting that generational divide um and i noticed it in re-watching the first season like all the the younger guys the copywriters and the ad guys the younger ones tend to hang out together and the old guard tends to group together. Um, and that becomes a recurring uh, thing throughout the show in the first season. It's, or maybe the second season, it's very much about like bringing in young talent because that's what clients are looking for. Um, that's where we get, do we get Stan in the second season? Not, no, I think he shows up in the third or fourth season. Because that's when they're like drastically different. The new, the new town. Yeah, it gets like, like more mid to late sixties demonstrative how different those generations are. And like Don is kind mm -hmm. of weirdly on the borderline. He's definitely like a fifties guy. He's like the Rock Hudson type character, and he's always like looking down on younger generations and and saying kind of negative things about them. But he's also got this like rebellious streak in him, so he can kind of relate to as as the sixties go on and it becomes like more about like countercultural movements and stuff. He's not mm -hmm. like totally removed from it. He's definitely of the older guard. He's he's better able to go between those two sides of it. But I think that dynamic is really interesting to me, and not something that it, it, the way in which Mad Men does it is different than I think any other, anything I've ever seen before. Like in the Wonder Years or, you know, shows like that where there's like just a, a rebellious teenage daughter uh, yelling at her old school father. And in this case, it's like we see it extrapolated into the workplace and it, it's every level of American society. You see kind of the volatility between the two generations um, which I think is really interesting. Um, I also like, it, it, I don't want to like labor this, belabor this too much, but like in terms of themes, I love that this is a show that's obsessed with death. Uh, and I was really fascinated that it, in watching it again, that like right from the very first episode, they introduced this idea of a death wish as the, um, the guiding principle behind 
advertising and how an advertising company could appeal to somebody. In this case, it's specifically a cigarette company trying to get around the federal regulations about health. And the they play on the idea of there being a death wish inherent in people. They want to live dangerously. And so maybe there's an advantage to cigarettes being this deadly thing and people will be attracted to it specifically because it is dangerous to them. And like Don is the embodiment of that. He, he is this like living death wish. And I had forgotten that three episodes or four episodes into the show, he, he takes off from his daughter's birthday party. I think it was his daughter's birthday party. Oh yeah. And never comes back. Yeah. With the birthday cake. He's supposed to go get the birthday cake and he just like, he parks next to a a set of railroad tracks and he's just thinking about like killing himself on the railroad tracks. And when he's already super drunk too. Yeah. Yeah. He can't even like be domestic without having like 16 beers uh, before doing it. But. And then he comes home with a dog. Yeah. (laughs) Um. But that like kind of plays out throughout the whole show, this like um, weird fixation culturally on death and how uh, death changes things and shifts the way that people um, react, especially with like the assassinations that I mentioned earlier. There's always a very concerted effort to sort of show how people react to death in the in the public sphere. But um, um, all right, that. That is a, a good, long uh, pitch meeting on Mad Men. I think it's, it's going to be a great show. I expect AMC to buy off on it. So congratulations, everybody. Let's go have some champagne. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Let's do a conga line around the Yeah, office. just watch out for the lawnmower. Uh, as we do. <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> Stay away from the oysters. Yes. Uh, avoid any any uh, projectile oysters. Um, Chelsea and Ashley, thank you for being a part of this. Yes, very much so. Thanks. This was really fun. Thank you. Yeah. Adam, thank you for thawing to be involved in this. <laughs> no problem. Thank you. Uh, and to listeners, thank you for joining us for March Madness. This was a good time. I think maybe if any of us are still existing next year, we'll we'll do it again. Yep. Uh, all right. Well, let's uh, put this in a file folder and file it into the archive. <laughs> <laughs>